We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, yeah. I feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and Britt, the middle of July has come with the rare, actually relevant Minnesota Timberwolves news. Um, obviously, unless you're living under a rock, you know that Glenn Taylor has made it public that, uh, that he's interested in selling the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is not necessarily a new thing. That's, that's, that's come up before, um, but there does seem to be some legit steam behind this. And I think most noteworthy was the fact that he pointed out that it might be within months, you know, where normally you think about a sale is something that would take a, you know, a longer amount of time. So I guess just for you, you've, you've covered this team since before Glenn even owned it. Uh, What was just your kind of, I guess, first, first glance, initial perspective. And this is Britt Robson, the athletic. Uh, I think that um, the most relevant thing is that Kevin Garnett is being very conciliatory toward Glenn Taylor. That (laughs) indicates to me that at least Kevin Garnett thinks Glenn Taylor is serious about selling the team. Uh, It's a shameless reversal of Kevin Garnett's stated opinion. I mean, it was scant weeks ago that he was calling uh, Glenn Taylor a snake and doesn't know shit about basketball, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, so I, I think that Glenn is sincere about trying to sell the team. Uh, back in April of 2012, I did a story for uh, Minnesota Business Journal uh, right around the time that Glenn Taylor told me, actually it was in, I guess, September, September of 12, he told me that um, he had seven serious offers for the team. 
uh, that he same number he just said <laughs> that uh, the plan was for him to uh, um have the prospective buyer buy out the minority owners, which at that point would have been about 25% stake, gradually increase his participation up to 50%, and then gradually go over 50%, at which point Glenn would still hang on as a minority owner, theoretically one that would be relatively involved, and that the whole process before Glenn relinquished everything would be six years. Glenn said that would happen before the 2012-2013 season. Hmm. We know what happened. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, so, what's the, okay? That, what's the differences? Do you, I mean? There's obviously a lot of similarities there, from John Krasinski's reporting, Shams, whoever here, what it, or or people you've talked to. Do you feel there is a different tone to there's this? There's a big difference in terms of the fact that the circumstances are much less nice for Glenn Taylor, who always says he wants to leave on a smooth note. Um, back then, they had just worked out a very hard-earned lockout, pockmarked collective bargaining agreement. Um, they yeah, 2012 was really the turn of the value in franchises, too, where everything really exploded. Just go. in looking up some stuff, the, the Kings sold in 2013 – for 565 million and that was a record at the time it was the, it was right. the kings right and now we're, we're talking about glenn taylor selling it for 1.2 double that and it being a bargain right so i mean we're, it really has been the context i actually don't blame him for not getting out it, oh, it's right. been it's been a wildly profitable investment over the past eight years even he's though the pushing teams, 80 yeah he has long said he said when he bought the team that he knew that it was one of his few properties that would not remain in the family's hands. Huh. There's nobody in the family that wants When did he this. say that? Uh, like the beginning, beginning? Pretty soon. Well, what he told me back in 12 yeah. that when he bought the team, he knew it. Um, he told me previous to that in other interviews that he tried to get family members interested in it. They are not interested in it. For example, when he bought the Star Tribune, his daughter hopped on it. His daughter is, a, I believe, still a member of the Stribs Board of Directors and will take over ownership. Um, and, you know, this is, at the end of the day, we think about these vast things. It's about the peccadillos and idiosyncrasies of ownership. You know, Glenn's peccadillo, fortunately, is he is an incredibly civic-minded individual who really, really does care about Minnesota as a civic entity. Uh, he bought the team. He didn't care about basketball when he bought the team. He bought the team because uh, David Stern blocked uh, ownership from New Orleans that was clearly shady, probably mob-influenced, um, from getting it to New Orleans. And then other people in San Diego and Nashville were also not particularly on the up-and-up, at least not to the extent that a Glenn Taylor would be, um, and then he bought the strip for the same reason. He bought the strip to keep it in the community, unlike dozens of other papers. Um, it was not basically cannibalized by hedge fund guys. Um, he is a civic dude, and whatever you want to say about Glenn Taylor, and I've heard all the stories and participated in some of the stories, 
and think that in a lot of ways he's been a real jerk. I mean, there's a weird, it, it's it's a not a coincidence that a lot of African-American former players dislike him. I don't know the specifics of it, but it's too frequent for it not to be something that is, in, you know, is is a blemish right. on I, him. So, I mean, obviously, you and I have known each other for a while. This has been something we've just sitting around shooting the shit have hypothesized about a bunch. Glenn Taylor eventually selling it, who would take who would take over, you know, and then you start running through all the, the issues and the problems and there all has been. And I think one thing, when you and I have always talked about this before, you've always kind of pushed back on me in ways once I start, you know, listing the follies of, of Glenn Taylor. And and that struck me because, you know, I think about I'm 30. And so, so really the, the heyday of the Wolves and the demise I was relatively naive to, you know, like I was a teenager. Uh-huh. Obviously, I, I I was a fan and all that sort of stuff, but in no way was I was I living through it in the way that I I do now and and following every every detail. And and you did, so you know, I, I I listened to that. And what you would always say is that you did carry, re, you know, respect for Glenn, or at a minimum, always pointed out to me that you like covering the Minnesota Timberwolves, ostensibly a fan. And without Glenn Taylor, you don't have that job or probably that fanhood. And I That's think right. that that resonates with me, and I would assume that resonates with everybody who's who's listening to this too. So I really thought about not just those conversations with you, but that whole process once I once I heard this news because to me, and I'm not just trying to be like negative guy in this situation, and I I'd I love to see the positive of this, and obviously the idea of KG taking over. There's tons of things to be excited about with this, but to me. I can't help but at least consider, you know, the worst case scenario, which is that this isn't a happy ending for people like you and I who love the NBA and love having a local team here where we live. Right. And and that's that's concerning. I'm not saying that's the most likely outcome or anything like that, but I'd be lying if I told you I haven't gone down the whole Seattle Sonics rabbit hole in the past 48 hours and looked into that. And, and I don't know. It's going to be something I'm going to be – monitoring closely all the details because there are paths the devil is in the details without question yeah when the Sonics sold the team to bennett they thought they had a lot of things locked in yeah money talks the timberwolves currently have a lease on target center this is a good point glenn taylor made the agreement specifically to have this happen where they are in Target Center until 2035. Mm-hmm. That can be bought out. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot. It's 15 years from now. Um, but if somebody's really loaded, you know, uh, and they're getting a discount to not move the team, well, you know, you can't. You can't lock in. No, you can't. You can't lock in. I mean, once a once an owner owns the team, and I believe that's why Glenn back in 2012 had this phase-in ownership. That's probably what he'll try to do this time, too, to have a phase-in ownership. But a lot of things are different now. I mean, a million two probably wasn't being considered back in 2012 because yeah. the lockout did, you know. By the way, that lockout, 57% to 50% player percentage. Yep, 57 And to there's a new report, CBA yeah. coming on that's going to change that, yep. you better believe. So that's what I mean when I say circumstances, are, our sales circumstances are different. 
the overall price tag is vastly inflated. But the point being, again, if somebody is rich enough, and if they're talking a billion two, they're rich enough, um, what it would take to buy out a lease, I mean, I don't know the exact details, but let's add a couple of, let's add tens of millions on to that. Or maybe even a, uh, maybe even a uh, three quarters of a billion or something onto that. Um, okay, for some owner that wants to move this team to Seattle or some other market that they regard as the next Oklahoma City. I don't know if anybody else read the book about the Oklahoma Boomtown, City. Boomtown, yeah. Yeah, Boomtown. Um, there are markets that are sports starved that would just crave any sport. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't take. We don't need to be economists or or brilliantly well versed in any of this to to understand the idea that moving an NBA franchise to Las Vegas would probably be very profitable. Or or choose your you know choose a, a quote unquote better San market. San Diego, whatever. Not Minnesota. Not right. Minneapolis. Right. Where there's been a real stink to the franchise and the whole time it's been here. Right. And yeah, I don't. I don't. The the wise thing you pointed out that we're getting from the research I've been able to do is that the the location the stadium is is a huge factor that's been a huge factor in these these movements before and the lease is important it is it is big i think two parts one that that lease exists and would need to be bought out and two that they just recently pumped in was it 120 million into target center renovations right you're not overall i mean you know it worked out between 90 well it turned out to be 120 because Glenn pumped in he more than in he more, said. Right. right. But, okay, so you, have, you don't have a dire need for a new stadium here. On the other hand, by NBA and major yeah. sport arenas, this thing was built for $57 million total, even given inflation. Mm -hmm. Harvard Marr built it cheaply. Everybody says the bones of it, the skeleton of it, is very, very sound. But... How many elevators do you see in Target Center, for example? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean. Well, um, just even just traveling around. I mean, I've had the chance to do that for the past couple of years, traveling right. with the team. I mean, it it just pales. In I mean, we were both at the Dallas game together. Right. I mean, Dallas, just beautiful And stadium. you don't even yeah. have to go that far. Go yeah. to U.S. Bank Stadium. Go sure. to the X. Yeah. You know, go go to Alliance Field probably. I haven't been there, but I guarantee right. you it's a it's nicer nice. experience. Yeah. Target Center is an a, a edifice that was built over a quarter century ago. Right. Um, no, and, and that's the thing. To, that's the thing to focus on because because these are these. If if you are an owner that has the intention of coming in to buy this and eventually moving it, whether you're being upfront about that or not, those are the things you pick at. Those are the you you pick at that and you throw in this extra money that you have to be able to do so. And and again, I don't want to. I'm not saying this is the most likely thing, but this is to me. This is this is where where my head goes with it. And ironically, actually, about uh, two weeks ago, I was with a friend who works in private equity and obviously knows I work um, in the NBA. And he was like, he, he just brought up the fact that there that there are groups and groups. It comes up all the time trying to put together VC money to buy NBA franchises because it is. An obvious. It's the cool thing to do, and it's and it's, and and it's, it's profitable. profitable right? It's both things, provided so, you don't have a stadium lease till twenty thirty five, and an owner that says you have to keep it in this market where they're where they're mm -hmm. poison right now. It, yes, and I mean, the thing is, is 
it has signs of being profitable, but also a lot of times the people who are buying it, the main investor is concerned with breaking even. I mean, that's what Bennett said over and over again with the, with the OKC move. And that was obviously a not opportunistic, like economic real estate move that, that they made. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think there's things to be concerned about here just as much as there are things to, to get encouraged about as far as it as it connects to it there's not, not a lot to get encouraged about well i think a lot of people listening to this right now would be would might not have all the information but don't feel that way i, think, I understand that but these are also the people that when they jump up and down and clap their hands about kevin garnett coming back and everything like that and the team goes 25 and 56 or whatever uh, a year from now, I'm going to say, oh, same old Wolves. I mean, it's not – it's a sugar high. Kevin Garnett's name in this whole process is a sugar high. Kevin Garnett, by all previous evidence, is not going to be a fantastic owner and is more than likely going to be a figurehead and is going to more than likely chafe vociferously – when he finds out he's a figurehead and next thing you know we got classic wolves dysfunction just kicked up a, a couple of notches on the depth chart um i'm with you i'm with you I'm i will tell you right now i think there's less than a 50 50 chance that this happens and the reason i do is because all the things we're talking about now i think are deal breakers for glenn taylor and i think Unless he finds a compatible sweetheart, somebody who really will buy all his amazing contingencies, which are absurd. And he may, you know, he may go like eight hundred million, sell it cheap, you know, or something to make sure all those contingencies are there. Um, you know, the only thing I do worry about is that even if he stalls it out four or five years, even if he does what he wanted to do in 12 with this pattern, there may be an owner who just plays nice with him and waits him out. You know, this group is there for, um, you know, there are a bunch of 40, 50-year-old hedge fund guys who say, let's play with the old man until we don't have to anymore. And then we can do with it what we want to. Um, While making money along the way. I'm making money along the way. Although I will say the coronavirus is a huge, was, huge <laughs> X factor in all of this. I mean, true. nobody is really going to know what the future of sports is going to be. I mean, they're talking vaccines now. The federal government is shoveling $2 billion at somebody that we have no clue whether those guys will deliver at all. It may wind up being one of the countries that Trump is basically calling <laughs> All the things in the world have a vaccine to give it to everybody but this country. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody knows what's going to happen to one of the huge revenue streams of sports, which is live attendance. Um, and nobody even knows whether this weirdly, you know, dysfunctionally put together truncated season and all the attending things in any of these sports all it's going to take is one really, really respected person to kick the bucket, and then things are going to really start to happen. If Greg Popovich, just to choose probably the most salient example, somebody who's in a high-risk group because of his age, 
Uh, seems like a kind of guy who might be able to avoid hypertension, but you never know. But let's say for, for whatever reason, some revered figure in a sport, doesn't have to be the NBA, uh, dies. It's not unreasonable to think that way. That's game changer. Well, I, I think it is. I think that. Well, I just think about that in, in my in my life or, or in, the, in the life right. of the people around me. And, you know, and as as we as I we see our world evolving and becoming, you know, more more sort of comfortable with it. And the, the fear I've had all along of this whole process is is that whole idea of experiential learning. Right. And and needing somebody close to you to get seriously sick or right. dying. That's and, what seems to do it. I mean, even in Texas. So in Florida, yeah. I mean, some of the worst assholes in the world suddenly, uh, and you know, and and, and <laughs> the polling has a way of concentrating behavior too. So, I mean, let's face it. I I do think oh, it's fair that, to be skeptical what the economic impact of our world is going to be, let alone professional sports. But people which, who, on the other hand, the, the counter argument to that is people who put together billion dollar deals have a curious way of just being able to ignore all that because they see it. They see woe as opportunity. And so uh, they see an ability, hey, if we get this, um, it may turn out to be the best bonanza at all. Teams may be worth $5 billion simply because um, they exist in, in, in an uh, entertainment bereft world. Um, so I have no doubt that Taylor will be able to get credible people to put it together. I have no doubt that some of them will be guileful enough to perhaps convince him uh, to go along. I don't think that the team will move in a year or two. I think that Glenn is committed enough for that not to happen. Well, it would just be, no matter what, the earliest move. Again, if you look at the Seattle example, right, which right. was a fairly swift Pretty undertaking, brutal, right. like it still took years. Right. You know, it, it still took years. That'd just be the nature of it. And so there's n- <laughs> any sort of sale doesn't even matter if they sold it to a beguileful individual. Right. It, right. There would still be obstacles to jump. The NBA would have the Wolves back to some degree. There, it would be it would be a, a battle, and there would be time. This isn't just something we snap our fingers and it right. happens, and all of a sudden – you have the Seattle Werewolves who are a team. Like right. it, it, it would. Do, this is this would take time. But I, okay, I want to I want to talk about KG more. Okay, and and just to just to kind of parse that because you said figurehead, and that's just straight up what it would be. There, there's no there's no there's it no doesn't possible have way. the coin to be anything other than the face of a franchise, but not necessarily the person who was really pulling the strings. Yes. So his his net worth. Which a, a relative term, whatever, but is listed at like 120 million. So you're so you're talking about you're talking about like you're talking a, about one thousandth of the franchise price, aren't you? Well, no, you'd be talking 1. about 1.2 billion, one point one hundred twenty million. What did I say? One hundred twenty million. Is that one percent or ten percent? Ten percent. Okay, because we're talking one point two billion for the sale. So you obviously, I mean, so say he puts in a hundred million. Okay. Now you're, you're yeah, we're, we're under ten percent of the. You know of the equation, and actually, the good example to use right here is is Alex Rodriguez has been doing with this with the New York Mets, right? And his his he's uh, got a worth, lot more money. Yeah, three hundred and fifty million, so three times as much. But even that, but the Mets are more 
the Mets. The Mets are two billion. So, so, but but still, Alex Rodriguez is even he puts in three hundred million. What he's trying to do, what he has been trying to do, would still be to be a figurehead owner. And he's gathering. He's been gathering all this VC funding, and he's up. And it was looking like he was getting real steam, but he hit one billion, and now it's kind of hit a wall. And he's going to have to raise another billion to actually even put in, you know, the bid or get the support to to put in that money. So, so just from a KG perspective, like you're ten percent of the way the bucket's not even ten percent of the way full. He's got to put that all in. And now I'm kind of con- contradicting myself when I said there are people who would be willing to make this type of investment. And I, I do believe that. I don't think KG would have a problem getting to that $1.2 billion. I just, just with this VC bubble we're in and the way to do it. Yes, but it's but still a long ways to go. And what happens after that? I will, yeah. I I mean, don't, that's, I'm just talking part one. Does that, Kevin Garnett agree to be like the mouthpiece? Kevin Garnett, when he was a player with zero stake in the franchise, demanded – Troy Hudson, Trenton Hassel. I mean, he wanted contracts. He like wanted James. players signed. Yeah, exactly. And so there's that. Then there's the idea. And I will say, first of all, I mean, you know, I'm in the middle of trashing his naivete in what he may be able to accomplish. Let me say as a basketball player, you know, him, McKee, Malajuan, and Oscar Robertson are probably my three favorite players of all time. For sure. Um, and I've revered he's one of the greatest defensive players. He's the best one-on-two pick-and-roll defender I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I've covered him, love him, etc. cetera. The guys who he's going to be partnered with may love him too, but this is money we're talking about, and these are big decisions, and people who get in this position get in it for ego reasons. And if Kevin Garnett is stepping all over that, they're not going to like it very much. And they have the power, once they have their foot in the door, to basically say, well, I don't think this is the way we're going to do this, Kevin. How is Kevin going to react to that? I don't think Kevin Garnett reacts to people telling him he can't do things very well. Um, So I really do think, you know, on top of everything else, plus his – his genuine love for this market and his great desire to supplant Glenn Taylor as a winner as opposed to Taylor's chronic losing whenever he didn't have Garnett on the roster, all his great emotional fodder for Garnett to be fairly unyielding. He's not going to be Derek Jeter, who basically has maybe a minuscule part of the team, but is basically obviously doing the owner's bidding. I mean, they've been tanking for a while now. KG doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to tank for the sake of a long-term rebuild. That's not his, you know, that's no, not his No, not at MO. all. The, the best case scenario, and I'm with you that this isn't likely, is that KG comes in as as a quote-unquote figurehead owner, owns 10% of the, the team, and heavily invests his ethos into the culture and the marketing of a franchise that and basketball city that greatly flounders in both of those areas yes they could and this is the obvious thing this is what everyone's excited about inject some kg culture into the minnesota timberwolves and then you won't feel like a joke for watching timberwolves games like so many people do right now i feel like a joke for covering them sometimes like we absolutely need 
that. We absolutely need that guy. We absolutely need yeah. more Timberwolves fans, and KG could provide that. But is he going to stay in that lane? That's hard well, to Well, let's expect. say he even stays in that lane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get to that point now. <laughs> let's say, and I agree with you, that sounds wonderful. But what things get disruptive if that happens? You think Gerson Rosas is going to hang around and work side-by-side side with Kevin Garnett and not chafe at any of this? Gerson Rosas was the first Latin American general manager in NBA history and threw it away after 90 days because he didn't have enough control over the team. In Dallas, yeah. Yeah, so no, it obviously Gerson Rosas demands whether or not you think he doesn't or no, not. No, this is just facts. Yeah. He, Glenn Taylor was told to get out of the way when Ethan and Gerson yeah. basically did this. I mean, I don't have uh, proof of that. Yeah, we do. Look at the last fifteen months. Well, well, Where's Glenn Taylor been? What I mean, Gerson Rosas. Well, that's is, uh, that, that's that's evidence. That's evidence. But I don't but, have I don't have a smoking gun that somebody said get out of the way. But it well, Glenn I mean, Taylor clearly has been somebody true. who likes to talk about the team in the past. Yes. So I would assume, and you're saying it's a smoky gun. That's fine. It's just a matter of semantics. All I'm saying is if I'm saying Glenn Taylor was told to shut up, somebody can say, where's your evidence of that? Okay, maybe not shut up, but get out of the way. I'm saying I think we have evidence that he was told to get out of the way because he got out of the way. And And historically, he never, ever got out of the way. Not only that, but he was told that he was going to have to pay the Lux tax, perhaps, for a team that won 19 games. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, these are the things that – that I'm thinking about when when I hear all this and and again I, I just I go back to I'm not as Glenn Taylor scorned in a way because in a very in-depth way I've been following this team for three years and and to me that was yes for sure saw dysfunction the Tibbs thing was Tibbs thing was bad that's what I saw now wait a minute yeah I mean oh, oh no let me let, let you finish we'll go okay. back to Tibbs in a minute the, the, the way that, that all got bungled yes. was bad, and I don't know that that was all on Glenn, but but it, it happened, and then they, they hired Rosas, and Glenn completely stepped out of the way, and again, because I'm, I'm following this, and, and not, I'm not just trying to be some pony boy for, for Rosas, I, know, I feel like we have to do this disclaimer every single, single right. time, but you and I believe in this process, and this most of the ideas that are going, going into this, and... and well, we believe in it to the extent that it beats any alternative we've seen. Yes. I mean, I have my problems with it. For sure. But Same. at the end of the day, if you say push the yes or no button on Gerson Rosas, I push the yes button. Yeah, and I, I probably ha- hammer it down uh-huh. in, in that sort of way because I believe in when you are a bad franchise, when you have been the, the little kid at the kids' table getting kicked for 25 years, you do need to do things differently, which – he, you know, Gerson's laid out a million different cliches. Don't like that part of it, but yeah, you gotta play the game. You gotta play chess to to, to checkers, even when everybody else is playing chess. You gotta play three D chess, and and I think in ways through getting doing a million different moves, being creative with 
with the way they, they frame things, the different type of moves they're going to make, that's going to keep happening. The, the trades, the deadline, going into the tax, all these sort of things are the right moves, in my opinion, if you're sitting in that GM chair for the past 15 months. And to make those quote-unquote right moves, you need an owner that shuts the hell up and, and just nods along. And Glenn Taylor, for 15 months, has done that. Glenn Taylor's done a hell of a lot more the 15 years before that. That was bad. So I'm not even defending Glenn Taylor or that I want it to be Glenn Taylor. Right. I want it to be somebody who is like Glenn Taylor, who steps into that role or te- precedes him in that role. And I struggle to see Kevin Garnett being that person. Right. Or his well-heeled partners. I mean, or why? Anyone. I mean, why a lot of billionaires just aren't going to be like that. Right. Like, yeah. Go okay. On. So I wanted to get back for a minute to the idea that. The idea of Glenn Taylor being blamed for Tom Thibodeau's tenure is laughable to me. Was I doing that? Whatever. Do you, no, just no, all no, no. Up. What you said was, uh, I don't know, you know, Tibbs, that's, who knows about that, whether he has any role in that. I know that Glenn Taylor is criticized for being a country club guy. Now, if you want to blame Glenn Fair. for Ryan Saunders, okay, blame yeah. him for Ryan Saunders. Um, fairly legit. I will say that. Ryan Saunders pretty much did whatever Gerson Rosas wanted them to do this year, and Rosas had the complete ability to run the franchise both above him on the depth chart and below him on the depth chart. It's a perfect scenario for him, and probably one he kind of requires. But when it comes to Tom Thibodeau, he was the anti-country club guy. True. Yeah, he was very. He had a cup of coffee here very early in his career. But he made his bones as somebody who told management to go F themselves most of the places he was at. He demanded, and rightfully so given his bargaining position at the time, full control of the front office and the chalkboard. Um, He totally abused that authority. Everybody thought he was coming in to basically rear Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and Zach Levine into something great for the future. Instead, he basically he traded Levine for this guy who came in and sought to destroy uh, Towns and Wiggins in terms of some kind of nurturing. It wasn't nurturing. To call it tough love would be uh, psychologists would blanch. Um, no, what, it was ridiculous. And then on top of everything else, after being able to do all that, Telling Tibbs, who theoretically was giving him all kinds of rope, that he was going to use that rope to basically hang Tibbs, that's incompetence. Glenn Taylor had nothing to do with that. Yeah, no, it's fair. And what I'm doing here is the classic example of what I always get frustrated with people doing, which where they go, classic wolves, and, you know, classic wolves, F up, like, Put it on Glenn. It's not always. It it's isn't not always. always so, I mean, so, there's a lot of reasons why Glenn Taylor yeah. has been bad. Yes. You know, um, Glenn Taylor has a habit of, for whatever reason, antagonizing the hell out of any good player that right. walks out the door. You know, saying somebody like Kevin Garnett was quitting on the team or not doing everything he could to help the franchise during the times when they were tanking, that was that was egregious. On, on Taylor's part. Um, the dysfunctional way he's dealt with things in the past. There's, there's, there's a lot to dislike Glenn Taylor about. I'm not defending him in that respect. What I am defending, anybody who says that Glenn Taylor is cheap, 
doesn't do any research. As soon as Glenn Taylor bought this team, he signed Darnell Marshall to nine years at $42 million. Back then, that was a ridiculous contract. It was a ridiculous contract. Shortly after that, he signed Kevin Garnett to a deal that created the CBA because it was so outlandish. The idea that somebody was going to get six, 21 million bucks for six years when Kobe Bryant is out there on the West Coast getting ready to sign a deal in Los Angeles. Everybody went, well, if KG's going to get 121 for six, Kobe's going to get 200. And everybody goes, we can't have that. So Glenn Taylor, which, by the way, turned out to be a really smart move to lock up Kevin Garnett for six years because he was worth every penny. Now, as it turns out, he and Shaq had deals that were, were less valuable than they could have been because they were grandfathered in at a ridiculous rate that no one else got. Yeah. And the salary cap was imposed, which made those deals even bigger. More onerous. You know, but even the whole Joe Smith thing that Kevin Garnett, I mean, that Glenn Taylor gets screwed for, that was an effort to improve the team <laughs> by working out an no, there, there's the a difference deal. There's a difference in being cheap and, and, and competent. competent. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, Glenn I mean, Taylor is not cheap. He has been incompetent at the time. Now, it's turned out that Joe Smith thing was a couple of agents were feuding and one right. agent tattled on the other. Uh and I think it's fair to say that Glenn Taylor was not the first owner in the NBA to, do that. to basically try to work some under-the-table deal, you know. For sure. I mean, many years later, when uh, Andre Kirilenko suddenly went uh, yeah, to, the you know, to, to Russia, Russia. <laughs> to live happily ever after, never had to work another day in his life, I think that might have been a little bit shadowy. Right. You know, so let's not talk about Glenn Taylor being the only owner that blew it. Right. No, I mean there's there there is plenty of that. Still um I mean we there's <laughs> plenty I I am I will stipulate all the incompetence. You don't own a franchise that has the worst record in the NBA for the time he has bought it and the time beforehand. Um it just is a continual dysfunction. He did go country club. He did basically immediately rely on Kevin McHale and then flip. And then very briefly, David Kahn on the advice of a fellow owner, Donnie Walsh and David Stern, guys he trusted. But the point being is he wasn't shrewd enough to make his own hire. He took, the, took bad advice from people, uh, then went back to flip because he was, again, convenient then went to Tibbs who we were all supportive of we were all supportive of as a way to do it got burned on that wanted to go the other way I think they had a really good hiring process to get Rosas there were a lot of competent people involved and he skipped two country club guys in Chauncey and Calvin Booth yes he did I think that's noteworthy so we're All encouraged by this process. Huh? We're encouraged by that this this most recent process to get to where we they are. are now. And who knows? Maybe Rosas ends up being three years from now. We'll go another we love Rosas. Yeah, I mean, who knows? That that could happen. We like what's happened so far. The the, the I and don't know. a lot right is going to have to happen. I mean, this team is For still sure. so far away, so far from being like one of the top five or ten franchises in the mm -hmm. NBA. Everything is going to ha – I mean, we've done podcasts. I've ripped the future of this team on many, many occasions. 
Um, but I will tell you, new ownership isn't going to suddenly dissolve the contracts of, <laughs> of Cat and D'Lo. There isn't, it's not going to suddenly, yeah, yeah. you know. Or, uh, nor is it going to magically convince another superstar to come like that's that exactly. when you have the other stuff on there there's still a salary cap there's still you're still up against all those still other in a market things. that is not a major market yeah. it is a cold market it has one thing i will say is i do think that his run-ins with folks like kevin garnett and sam mitchell have polluted taylor's name with nba players i will say that and i will say that he has probably earned that um because I those guys have clout. I happen to think, first of all, Sam Mitchell, I happen to think of as a very honorable person. He's got nothing good to say about Glenn Taylor. Um, and I do think that, that Taylor probably said you'll you'll get a shot at, at being retained and then immediately went to Tibbs. I think he got double dealt there. Um, I think that bad-mouthing KG and Kevin Love, I mean, you know, I could go on and on. What what is Glenn Taylor's made a lot of mistakes. Let, let me ask you this. So, with a sale is happening. Let's just okay. Let's, let's, let's say let's it presume is. Okay. a sale is All happening. Right. What do you want that sale to look like? Well, what is I the best love, case scenario? I would love the Glenn Taylor special. I would love the idea that Glenn Taylor convinces somehow a a, a prospective buyer to let him continue to have essentially majority control of the team for another three or four years, that would be long enough to see if Rosas, if his vision can pan out. Let's face it, about four years is all Rosas has yeah. on this. Um, and then if Rosas comes up a cropper. Um, is cropper a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Bad if thing, Rosas yeah. screws up. Crapper. If he wets the bed <laughs> um, and Glenn Taylor has bet on the wrong horse yet again, um, then you know what? Uh, I think that the Wolves will probably wind up leaving this market because I do think new ownership can wait out Glenn Taylor. Um, you said best case scenario. The best case scenario no, is, not is the best a case local scenario. group or a group that somehow cherishes Minnesota almost as much as Glenn Taylor does and has Kevin Garnett and Garnett um, convinces these buddies soda is the way to go. Which I do think KG would do. I do, but, too. But he I doesn't he have would, the majority I power. I think he would, he try. would try. I mean, that, that that's another good thing about, about KG being in the mix. But, but nothing guarantees the team staying in Minnesota outside of a majority owner owning that team. And, exactly. and and keeping it here. exactly and and so that to me that's the most in, important factor. The most important factor is to continue to have a terrible team that we can see versus not having a team. Yeah, and and I would agree that most of the fan base would say if they're never going to be any good, screw them. I don't want anything to do with it. I would say the diehards, the people we write for, the people we hear from, would agree with us that if it was no NBA here. Uh, they would prefer to at least have a team that they could convetch and complain about uh, and hope for the future eventually we'll do it or make jokes about it, be like Cub fans of the, you know, 80s and 90s. Sure. Um, well, my, my message just to the other people, and when I've been tweeting about this stuff, or the people who just say that shit all the time about, like, the Wolves have been so incompetent, they should move. Like, my message to them is just fuck off. Like, right. Don't just, just don't have anything to do with it because because right. maybe there's not a lot of us, 
there maybe it's not a lot of us, but there's an, there's people here who do actually care about this. And maybe it's not as big as like the save our supersonics or save whatever, but like, I don't know. I mean, you made a living your whole life yep. covering this team yep, because people support it and care enough about it. And, and I think that that's like, that's what we want. I mean, I, I'm optimistic or naive enough to think that, you know, even, even with a different crappy owner, whatever, that something exciting can happen that you can overcome, right? That you can overcome a dumb owner if you have a good president of basketball operations. Right. And maybe they do have a dumb owner in Glenn Taylor, and maybe they do have a smart president in Kirsten Rosas, and that, that could lead to something. That could I, work just wanna, out. Right. I just want to see that. And if you don't want to see that, then fuck off. Right. That, that's what well, I'm I share that sentiment and have said it on occasion, but I've been saying it for decades, so now I basically just ignore people like that. Yeah, I mean I, the difference I is experience. Too, but when it becomes personal, I mean it becomes personal right, right. when you start when it starts being this team actually moving because right. that affects me. That affects right. my job. No, that affects I get my it. livelihood. And that's, that's what I cool. mean about you know after a while, I've I've dealt with people who just don't who literally don't care about the wolves and just want to make a cheap shot, a drive by you know ah screw this team yeah, make like, a joke you know the wolves are terrible and all that is right. I mean I, I, look, the record is what it is. A team without Kevin Garnett has made the playoffs once sure. in no, their history. I mean, we're not just we're not you and I are just like numb nuts. Like we obviously right. we know all these sort of things, but right. it goes it goes to the whole thing. And I mean I'd say I mean the people on like you and I are some of the only people consistently on Media Row. And there's other media right. jackals who come in and out and complain about having to be there to get a free ticket there to is a front a guy, row seat. Like, on one of the major media outlets who hates his job when he covers the Wolves. Yeah, for sure. And they're like, oh, man, we gotta, the Wolves suck. And I'm like, well, you know what? They're playing the Pelicans tonight. The Zion Williamson guy might be pretty fun. you got a free front row seat to watch this team play. Like, yeah, I don't know. All, that whole that whole mentality, that whole energy, like, just exactly. – All you guys want to just get out well, of here. that's yeah, why we here. do podcasts together yeah. because we are very, very much of a like mind. I, back when I was writing for City Pages about this, I'm pretty much the only non-daily writer writing, period, pre-blogs, and people would mock it, and I'd just say, look, I'm a basketball fan. I can be a Wolves fan covering this team, but I don't have to be a Wolves fan covering this team. I'm a basketball fan. Right. I got to see Michael Jordan close up. I got to see... You know, a bunch of players that the, I saw the NBA All Star. Kevin Garnett. <laughs> Kevin Garnett for a long, long time, and got to talk to him. You know, yeah. on a regular basis. Daily. Pretty much. Yeah. So I mean, again, um, but that you know, that's our little bubble. What I will say though is the people who, even in they're in the nosebleed seats, um, you get to see the NBA, and the NBA remains the greatest game ever, in my view. Now. All I can say to the people who are, our bubbles that bubble is bigger than it's portrayed too. I agree, but we're in a bubble that gets to go talk to the players yeah. and gets to spot well, off what we want to. <laughs> bubble pun intended. I don't know if we're gonna have one of those next. Well, year. not only that, but <laughs> we'll you know, <laughs> we'll see about the size of the paychecks too. <laughs> I mean, it may be that we used to be privileged. Now you and I are not drawing any coin from this. <laughs> On the other hand, I never cared about that as much. You know, I was always about the idea that if it's like I write about music, being able to go to the concerts 
is more important to me than the blurb about the concert review, you know? Um, my livelihood and my recreation are intertwined so considerably. That's why I always say I'm blessed. I mean, you have a blessed life if the thing you love to do is also the thing you do for a living. Now, that's endangered at the moment, but I got to feel like that love makes you better at being able to analyze, write, cherish the game. Somebody who doesn't care about the game isn't going to write about the game, in my view, as intelligently as somebody does. It doesn't take just love. It takes a lot of other things, but it's a huge part of it. If you don't love the game, you can tell writers now. You can tell the writers out there who love the game, you know? Easy. I mean, Zach Lowe, John Hollinger, those dudes, you know, they don't love the game. Are you kidding me? They right. cherish it. So, anyway. Yeah, um, and it's, the, again, and it's that same ethos of the, the Timberwolves fan base, that the, current, the current bubble of the people here. Right. The, the thing is, though, there is an economic and a business side to this. And what, what ownership needs to do, whether it's Glenn Taylor or president or the business side of the Timberwolves need to do, one way or the other, is they need to expand that bubble to get more people. Exactly. Because And that only happens through winning for a, a sizable segment. Yeah, but but that is the argument for KG, too, because you got the sugar high. Right, right. And I think if I'm Gerson Rosas, I go, man, give me that two-year two KG sugar high. That's going to buy me some time to work my – Unless he dies of diabetes. I mean, I'm talking about Rosas now. What happens when Rosas and all his really, really Ivy League-educated bean counters tell KG at this particular time that's not the right move at the moment? Dude, you know Gerson, and Gerson will say that. Yes, And Gerson will. will say that. And you know KG, and you know what KG will say. And all of a sudden, we have a Gerson versus KG thing, and who wins that PR battle? PR battle? Well, there's a difference between who wins the PR battle and who wins the decision battle. <laughs> I mean... It's still what Gerson's. What I'm saying is, at the until end of the KG's day. Until it's KG's team, it's Gerson's team. That's just the, that's just the, until KG owns 51, it's Gerson's team. Well. Right? That's, How's no, that wrong? No, because you're wrong because who has the pipeline to the owners? Who so you just fire calls them? the shot? Yeah, yeah I mean, they fire them. They basically say, Kevin Garnett is revered by this fan base. He doesn't get along with Gerson Rosas. He thinks we should do it this way. Gerson thinks we should do it this way. Guess what? Gerson wasn't our guy. We took him on because Glenn Taylor made us take him on. We'll yeah. go with KG, and guess what? There's other owner uh, uh, personnel guys out there. We'll just go get one of those. Yeah. No. Gerson will not win a PR battle with Kevin Garnett if they are supposed to be getting along. And yep. I'm not sure that Kevin Garnett, it goes against his entire character. Kevin Garnett's character is, I know something, I see something, I will get this thing. And it, it's this sounds hyperbolic, but in a way, I mean, isn't this very similar in your head to what you understand the Magic Johnson situation in L.A. kind sure. of being like? And all kinds of other things. I mean, Michael Jordan... <laughs> yeah. Would have been fired or discredited to the ruins of time so long ago in Charlotte if it wasn't for the fact he is who he is. Is it impossible that KG and Gerson couldn't just become boys and like 
No, I actually think that would be a wonderful thing. I'm not sure it's, you said, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Is it likely? I don't know. I don't know. I do know that Gerson Rosas is really, really smart. And I think that he would do everything in his power. He's also very, very aware of NBA. Same age, too. Let's do the same NBA age. history. Same age. But, man, <laughs> even that statement in and of itself is such a laugh. Um, you know, because KG will be ever youthful, and Gerson is wise beyond his years in terms of the kind of thing he's doing. Um, no, but, I mean, th this is this – I know. They are. They do have – I think chronology does have a lot to do with outlook. Because you've grown up with the same things. Well, and I want to highlight another thing where, where you were talking about, you know, Glenn probably severely struggling to interact, you know, successfully with minorities. Gerson is the antithesis of that. I, I, one, a minority himself. That's right. But two, I mean, that, that's just something I think maybe you and I have a little bit more perspective to. Yes. Of him and the way he's able to interact with these players whether it is white Jake Lehman or it is Josh Okoge who's black. Right. I mean, there is – Gerson does bridge cultural – I mean, to he my He hasn't had to cut any cords yet. He hasn't had to I cut mean, any – let's see what happens in two years with Cat and I Beagle. mean, it's like anything with Gerson. It's like, okay, we don't have that much information I I yet. So well, what do you, I, I what do you bring what we have here? I, I am saying that um, Gerson said nothing but nice things about the two most important players on the roster and has gone out of his way to essentially kiss their feet. At some point in time, if they don't perform to championship level, Gerson is going to have to say some unpleasant things and do some unpleasant things. And I think he'll and spin then it. We'll and see. he'll spin it fine. But he'll then spin we'll it see. just fine. Then we'll see. It, it, if, and, if, yeah. if, if somebody has kissed you for years and years and suddenly smacks you, it's a shock. And <laughs> I think somebody Wiggins with the pedigree right. of Cat and D'Lo, I don't think they're going to enjoy that. Yeah, well, but but here's the thing. This is not Taj but, Gibson but, tough love territory. No, but but here's the thing, though. Gerson, as you said, he's smart. Very I don't smart. Think he, I don't think he does that move where he – where he dumps one of them, whether it's D'Lo or even Cat, unless it can be framed as they've gotten someone else that is even better. And, and he, would see, he would say, we absolutely love D'Angelo. We absolutely love D'Angelo and everything he was. And when he was here, he was the consummate Timberwolves. But he, now we got Devin Booker, and Devin Booker fits with this ever, whatever this that's is. That's exactly what he did with Wiggins. Yeah. That's exactly that's what, what he did. He basically said, "That's what he will we do." We love Wiggins. He will do that. He with got rid every of Wiggins the first chance he could. Yes, and 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 for that I have great respect for him. And if he can do that, if he can leverage some player now, many would argue, many would say that the Wolves number one next year is too expensive. I I don't happen to agree with that we've talked about this before. Wait, number one? Said that their, their their top pick in twenty one goes in the. Oh, that's yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. costs of losing oh, Wiggins. It, yeah. Uh, some would say that was too dear of a price. I, I did not think that way. I think it was worth it. No, I agree with you on okay, that. Okay, I yeah. know. But my point is um, I think he, I think the way he finessed Wiggins out of town without a great deal of drama and, and supporting Wiggins every step of the way while he was here and then cutting the cord the first time he could, that is smart management. It's not necessarily management that is going to endear you to players all the time. And it may be that we'll hear six months from now that Andrew Wiggins really hated the Wolves. 
or whatever. Yeah, but then you just have the counter example of Robert Covington came back after the trade deadline and sat next to Gerson. Well, right Robert there. Covington. Yeah, I, I, but whatever. It's all optics. We're and I'm embittered by that. Don't even bring up that name. <laughs> I mean, the idea that he's not on this team when he's exactly what they need. But you agree? You I don't, know, ad- you I don't know, agree with that trade? I agreed with it. It was the best scenario in the long run. <laughs> it still really chafes. Because they don't have somebody like that. But that we're getting way off the top. This is supposed to be the the Glenn Taylor, Gerson Rosas, hour. We, we 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 hit. I mean, I feel like we 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 hit on it. And it's, all right. it. I mean, it's. I mean, to to, it's to summarize. Yeah. I think fifty fifty at best that a sale happens. Ever or like in the next. In, in the, the next two years. Future. Yeah. Okay. Um, I in other words, this boomlet of conversation. Um, yeah, I get it. I just think Taylor's terms are going to be really onerous for somebody. And and my pushback would be that there's no better time to buy. I mean, coronavirus accepted. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I just I do think I do really think there's something to that and and that somebody will bite bullets but to own I a franchise. I do not think that Glenn Taylor cares as much about money as he does about his legacy in this town. Well, then, then I mean, to that point, then, to that end, then he gets swindled. And wouldn't that be the cliche way to go out? I, I, I would put that up there with um, – swindled is too strong of a word, but I think – Clay Ben, I mean, something I like that. I think an ownership group will, 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 uh, will Seattle him. You know, will basically say, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> Well, and I think by we, the letter of the law, they do it, but they also buy out some other letters of the law and make their own sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, obviously this is speculation, but I would bet if we want to say there's seven teams or seven teams looking to buy it right now, I would guess four of them are looking to Seattle them. Right? Right. Whether it be immediate or, or in the future. And whether Glenn Taylor is shrewd enough, or at the end of the day, I mean, we have to remember that I think he's either 78 or 79, Yeah, is passionate enough. I mean, it may come a time where he finally says, all right, all right, all right. And here's my worry. That's I, what Howard I, Schultz did. I mean, that, that, that was the Seattle thing, again. And, and where I think he might budge, and this is why I tweeted what I tweeted yesterday about Rosas, you lay down a marker that the team has to stay here. That's one marker. That's a huge ask. You lay down another marker that the that the existing front office has to stay in place until this rebuild is over. I don't think that can go on the dotted line. Yeah. Unless you get to have this phase in ownership, which he tried in 12. I have no idea whether or not he said, I decided I want to keep control of the team. It may very well be that what happened is that um, nobody really met those terms. Nobody met that phase in. Sure. You know, and now the price tag is so much higher. Why would anybody necessarily do that? Why don't they think Glenn Taylor may be dead? I mean, let's face it, this is macabre, yeah. but he may be dead in three years. Then, you know, we'll take it off the, re- the estate. You know, sure. Becky Taylor is not going to lay down the same parameters. Becky Taylor isn't going to lay down the same parameters or isn't going to be shrewd enough, isn't the billionaire 
self-made billionaire that's going to figure out this finance. Sure. So I think all this is is is. I think that means we want them to be sold before Glenn passes. For sure. Well, that may be. And if so, then there have to be some interesting contingencies in place. But I'm, if he's thinking about it from that perspective, too, and he's going, when he said, he said to John, like, this, right. is, this is his legacy and all this and that, he's, he knows that the clock is ticking for him on life. Right. And and so he's oh, he understands the idea that if it ends up being my estate that sells this, then, yeah, that Probably, I'm not going to have control of that, and that if I don't have control of it, that's probably not going to be what I want it to be, right? You know so what would be cool? He might relent on some restrictions just to be able to make it happen. This is a wild hair, and I have no idea. But let's say Ethan Casson is the point person in a group. Well, then, you know... Maybe he's a little bit less of a figurehead, but still a, a definite minority partner. But that may convince Glenn, you know, I can I trust this guy. He's my right hand guy. Sure. Um, I can see a group going that way, you know, I, and, and this is pure speculation. I have no idea. I have no well, idea. How much, a sale to I have a no idea club. how much Ethan is yeah. worth. I have no idea about Ethan's in, interest in this. My point is. Even more than KG, who has his own sugar-high strengths. And, let's face it, Glenn Taylor can't help but have a soft spot for a guy who took him to his greatest heights. Um, But a a guy he's done business with a lot, you know, maybe it's somebody who is part of one of his other many— I mean, the guy's a billionaire many times over. He's got a lot of friends. Maybe it's a friend who basically gives him his word— because Glenn remains mm-hmm. born and raised Minnesotan, Mankato, Minnesota. Somebody's word, you know, just like I got to meet Andrew Wiggins face to face. Some of these face palm moments among people who really do deal in high finance. Glenn takes that stuff seriously. Sure. So, you know, which either may be a way to take him or maybe a way to get the kind of well, outcome I, we're I mean, talking about. I think about. he's definitely going to do that. It's whether or not somebody... He can trusts. scheme that, but, and but if he can trust them, if he and can whether trust or not them, that trust is, is justified, exactly. That's my point. That's my point. Right. I mean, it, it's it's all possible. There there are good outcomes, and we're, we've certainly highlighted the bad. But that that's just the way I, that's how I process things. That's the right. You know, you, you look at you look at both sides of it. I would absolutely love to see a situation where there is an owner in place who wants to keep the team in place. Kevin Garnett is in an ownership role. And understands his role. And understands his role. And does it well. Exactly. Pumps in culture. And gets along. Brings it back. And that would be that would be a great feather on KG's legacy. Absolutely. I mean, I would love to have that dance. That's yeah. a very, very idyllic dance. That's know? part two. That's and where then, the cherubs and the arrows come out. You know, all right. Yeah, they're wonderful. great. Here we go. That'd be great. Sign I mean, me up. Yes. I think the odds of that are about 10%. Well, let, let me throw in another factor okay. that may even complicates cuts that ten percent down more. You keep you you have a competent front office, whether Rosas or otherwise, right. who is able to to run the basketball operations without ownership meddling. That's the dream situation. Owner keeps them there. KG pumps the culture. President of basketball operations is competent and develops. But if they're the competent, they will listen to KG within within reason if KG's on the team. 
they will say to KG, hey, you know, I mean, and maybe around the fringes, you know, if KG can make Carl Anthony Towns commit to defense, let's give him a bad personnel decision or two <laughs> every now and then, you right, know? Right. Put him in practice, yell at him a little bit. Yeah. No, but I, there are, there there are, are scenarios. I think the more likely scenario, given, I think the most likely scenario of it's not 50 50, it's a variety. The most likely scenario among pluralistic options is that nothing happens for a while. Glenn doesn't sell. After that, I think the most likely scenario is some type of dysfunction <laughs> in the process by which Glenn relinquishes control of the team and the other people take over, and it affects operations on the basketball court. I think that's the next most likely thing. Then I think there's the opportunity that the status quo happens and it isn't as glorious as we expect it to be. And they eventually get canned. Rosas makes the playoffs a couple of times, but becomes outlives his usefulness. I think that's a fairly interesting option. And then after that, I think there is the option that things go south in a hurry. And this team leaves within four or five years. It, it's, I mean, this, Pre the news of this sale, and I, I mean, you and I have talked about it. I've, I've mentioned it before on here, Twitter, writing, or whatever. That I've always had a concern about the the franchise moving, real and and substantiated from right. conver, you know, from conversations, real real stuff. Right. And I remember, I remember, um, I got a lot of pushback. I tweet right once the news of Wiggins getting traded happened. I remember, you know, just kind of like the first tweet I did about it was I thought it was a not only a good personnel move, but a move that was good for the long-term staying in Minnesota franchise part of right. it. Because this franchise straight up is can only handle so many more years of dysfunction right. before it just it just gets yanked. It just gets yanked. And I thought it was extremely dangerous that keeping Andrew Wiggins th- through the entirety of his max contract – would fast track you to to that dysfunction, or just came with the dysfunction of it because he was paid so much and didn't give a shit, and and so removing that, that's why that's why me, I'm cool with the 2021 pick in there. Trust me, I'm very much familiar with the value of assets and understand D'Angelo Russell's weaknesses and all those other things, but I weighed that in substantially. That I think you had to trade Andrew Wiggins to get to a real functional state i totally agree going forward and and so i don't know i i it, it's always in the back of my mind that this team could move because i don't think that's hyperbolic i know that's not hyperbolic and and it becomes more likely with this news it does come more likely with this news but this news does come with, with opportunity with some potential upsides it, right it does it, it really does and i'm i'm you know well one i'm fascinated to watch it all play out in the middle of a pandemic with the weirdest freaking time in the world ever is going to be wholly bizarre economically. And, and it's going to one way or the other, it is going to have a massive impact on the Minnesota Timberwolves who carry a, <laughs> a big stake in your and I's life. Right. And, and that's, it's, it, th- this is a, 
if this does happen, I know you're 50-50 on it, this is a inflection point in the Minnesota Timberwolves franchise. Without a doubt. It, it will um, really pressure the timeline on some things. It will create all kinds of speculation. I mean, the thing about it is, let's imagine for a second the response of Carl Anthony Towns. If all of a sudden there's ownership change, perhaps a coaching change, perhaps a front office change, his mother recently died. He's getting all kinds of grief about his defense and his lack of winning. His standing around the league, you know, I mean, the idea, he and Jokic wasn't that long ago that they were side by side. If anything, Cat was regarded as a much better player. Yep. You couldn't get 20% of NBA observers to, to make that point now. Um, he's a sensitive guy. And I would be interested to see, I mean, if, if we start to examine different personalities, you know, the so-called pillar, foundational piece of the roster, how's he going to react to a change in the status quo? He's already whether fairly or not, I think somewhat fairly, he's used it as a crutch to say there's been so much turnover that it affects my development. He, I mean, he's openly said that to us. Actually, he brings it up with you a lot. He, he just, That's because I'm the institutional memory. I, uh, yeah, he I, lo I mean, <laughs> that time he basically asked me a question. I didn't even know he was talking to me. That was really funny. I mean, where he says he wanted to know if I knew the longest losing streak in his tenure. <laughs> But, I mean, he just regarded me as, like, yeah. some some guy with green eye shade who's, like, 85 years old uh, in a corner the, with a I bunch of notebooks. I think it was gray in your beard is what he did. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he knows and does respect you. And the, the, point, the point being is you've asked those type of questions to him before right. about um, – Yeah, his legacy. Sure. I mean – Well, about his legacy and about how – I've questioned his – I've questioned his maturity many times. Uh, and I meant it as a compliment. He, res he does respect you. And I, I, I respect him, and I'm glad. I, I actually think, I mean, I've ripped a lot of players in my time. Some people chafe at it. Some people um, don't subscribe gravitate to toward it. <laughs> Some people don't like it at all. Uh, don't put my words in your mouth or whatever. You had a Gorgie Jang yeah, interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, there have been people. Um, I mean, my favorite story about that, I once – Quote of the teammate is saying Marlon Maxey was dumb as a post. And Quoted, that, quote, direct It was quote. a quote, but Marlon came yeah. up to me and said, hey, I heard you said I was as dumb as a post. I said, Marlon, that wasn't me. That was a teammate that said that about you. And he paused for about two seconds and went, oh, okay, and walked away. <laughs> Which proved all kinds of things. By the way, I mean, I loved Marlon Maxey yeah. at the time. I was a big Marlon Maxey booster. But anyway... Cat. I mean, yeah, it's he. He is a. It has. It's actually probably silly that we didn't haven't didn't talk about him more in the process of this because when we are talking about all of this, we're talking about the value of the team. We're talking about the movement of the team. That is just inherently tied to its its best player and a player who who does have a chance at becoming transcendent. Exactly. And by the way, has everything lined up in his uh, slot machine thing yeah. right now. I mean, he's got the coach he wants. He's got the administrator he wants. He's got the owner he wants. He's got maturity. He's got the his boy, D 
D'Lo. Yeah. D'Lo as the sidekick 1A, there isn't anything left for Cat yeah, except for tragedy and yeah. more change. Yeah. See, and that's the thing. Um, it may not be a great if 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 the team gets sold and there's more upheaval. Let's face it, everybody's tired of chaos. You know, anybody who's been and Cat leads the team in longevity now by a wide margin. For sure. So he's the he's the elder statesman of chaos, and it's been nothing but chaos. Let's mm. face it. I mean, the Jimmy Butler stuff and Tom Thibodeau stuff. I mean. And well, I mean, and just and more Sam Mitchell, KG, flip, flip passing, right flip after passing, drafted, right after yeah. he drafted him. I mean, you're right. So, and he's a sensitive guy, to his credit, most of the time as a human being, yeah. not necessarily as a basketball player. But I will, you know, I've always said, I mean, as as a human being, I like Cat a lot more in the locker room than I do on the court. Yeah, I, I hope for both of us that part is never confused because I know we we both do feel that way and I I've tried to write about those things and mention those sort of things because Cat does some cool stuff when the cameras aren't on and stuff too which is which is this weird um like counteraction to the stuff that annoys people he does when the cameras are on right um that, that that's it's always been a bummer to me and I wish somebody could kind of like nail that home a little bit more he has him, never figured out fame He's never figured That's out how to finesse fame in a manner where he can be confident, capable, and respected all at the same time. The, he, Okay, I was thinking about this yesterday. Would you say it was true that Andrew Wiggins flipped a maturity switch this year, whether or not it was led to all the success, but as a personality kind of switched from that, like, post-college age sort of kid into real young adult. I think he made a very, very sincere effort. I think I'm that Andrew Wiggins... basketball-wise. I'm just talking about, like, as a person. I agree. I, first of all, things. what I will say, you talk to anybody in the Wolves organization, they love Andrew Wiggins. His teammates, the guys who pick up towels, you know. I don't know about that, man. You, you talk to different people than I do then. I don't think they dislike him, the, the personality. I think... I, I, think oh, I mean, people, the effort? I'm talking yeah. about as a guy. Yeah, but I I think to some people, those things intertwine, and it's annoying to people to to work with and exist with somebody who doesn't try but, in, in many ways. Or Yeah, or but I'm, what I'm talking about is somebody who is genuinely nice thoughtful yeah star players treat underlings like shit a lot more than people realize yeah and part of it is they're stars and they got a lot on their shoulders and they're trying to work things through right you're saying and they don't have the time yeah to be compassionate no all, all this is andrew true. wiggins is not that guy andrew wiggins has time for people around him agreed and that has made him extremely popular. And he obviously has consideration for his teammates because almost all of his teammates, with the exception of Butler and probably Taj and some of the other acolytes. But I do think there are also people who just swear by Andrew Wiggins in that way. Now, if we're talking about that, coaches and that stuff. Is true. That is true. What is also true 
is that underlings, people in the organization, right. and teammates have both told me Andrew does not like basketball. Great. Right. Okay, but I'm saying those are, and if you're on a basketball team and you give a shit about basketball that or working for your organization that sort of way, that probably bothers you if that player. All right, but is that anything that you can change? Luke Longley didn't like basketball. Michael Candy didn't like basketball. Rit, Darko Milicic didn't like basketball. Apples to oranges, man. It's it's your it's your first overall pick. It's your it's your max player. Oh, Candy your, and Darko within the top three, both not of by them. the Timberwolves. <laughs> but mean, then they turned around, lo and behold, yeah, yeah. and took them. Yeah, I guess. And Wiggins wasn't drafted by the Wolves either. I'm. It, it's. Yes, then nobody this got the match. This isn't even where I was money. going. This isn't even where I was going. All right, going but let's get I was to compliment. I was right. complicate compliment Andrew that I saw substantial growth in him as a human this year, and people telling me that as as well. That and I, I just think we saw. All that. right, and what I said. This is why my answer. I'm glad we had this long discussion. <laughs> I said he tried as hard as possible to be something different. Yes. Do you think that Andrew Wiggins? was a balls-out player this year. I do not. I do not think he likes basketball all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. I think he did his best to motivate himself to do something he otherwise couldn't do, but I think that remains a fatal flaw, and I think he'll always have that. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the same as Cat. I think if Cat modifies some of the weaknesses in his makeup in terms of maximizing his basketball talent there will be an enormous difference that's, that's why i I'm always believe yeah. towns had infinitely more potential than wiggins because after a while you realize that andrew wiggins is who he is i don't think cat has to be who he is because i think a lot a lot of what who he is that i don't like is immature mm-hmm. and and that that's what i'm that's what i'm talking about and i don't know if that switch exists in cat to become Mature? I think it does. I, 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 I don't know for a fact I'm saying that. I assume it does exist. Right. Because my point I was getting at a real roundabout here is I saw that maturity flip switch in Andrew Wiggins this year when he happened to be one year older than Cat. And I think it happens for some di- ways. Some I, ways. I, I do. That's my opinion. Right. And, and now Cat is that same age. And I know that whole maturity thing happens at different times in life for different types of people. But. There is great power in that flip switching for Carl Anthony Towns, and I think that if it does happen, a, a lot could happen for this organization, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. I'm interested to see how the tragedy he's dealt with this year you know, p- plays into that as well, but that potential in – in him exists what means potential in this franchise does well exist. one of the things we can say as a blanket statement covering the entire hour or so of whatever we've just said is that winning fixes everything okay tips. if winning happens well i mean if winning I happens know, right now it does then a new owner doesn't necessarily want to move the team if they're all of a sudden in the playoffs because the public is embracing this team all of a sudden. Right. This this is a basketball town to the extent that they will embrace a winner. I mean, if you don't make the playoffs 14 of the last 15 years, you can't really blame the fan base for that. Yeah, they just need would need to be a diehard NBA fan. To and when it begins, when – I mean, 
The NBA record for attendance remains in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. The first year they were here in the Metrodome, they drew more people than any NBA team has ever drawn since. So it's just not Atlanta. Mm -hmm. You know, Atlanta is down on the dregs with us in terms of attendance with much better one-loss records. There is... There is attendance and popularity potential in Minnesota, for sure. Without a doubt. And if Rosas makes his magic happen, if Towns takes the extra step, if D'Lo and Towns synergize, if um, Rosas plays on the everything begins, if we get a, a draft pick that hits this year and make a trade on the other draft pick that brings in a piece that hits, and things begin to quicken, and we become this year's Memphis from last year yeah, yeah. in 21. Um, boom. You know, then if Glenn Teller wants to sell the team, um, the NBA has a little bit more clout over an owner who wants to move it um, because there is a 15 year lease in place. You know, that isn't happening in Seattle, you know. And so I do think. The answer to a great scenario is the answer it's always been in sports, which is win games, <laughs> which is why we're talking about this, because the Wolves have never done that for very, <laughs> for very well. You know, I mean, they have the worst winning percentage of any modern NBA franchise and the second worst winning percentage of any major sports franchise. If Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a couple of great seasons, they will again be the Wolves will again be the worst franchise ever. I. And, and you know this is my stance on this. I've said it multiple times. And I think it's, it's interesting in this, in this timeline, too, that I, I think the Wolves are going to take a step in the, the right direction next year. I don't think they will have a Memphis or New Orleans right. or Dallas-level jump. Which, by the way, are all in the Western Conference. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and all have timelines mm-hmm. that, frankly, are behind the Wolves in terms of peak. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and and so I mean, yeah, it's a daunting. Jer- it's a daunting John situation. Jackson are younger than Cat and D'Lo. Uh Zion and Brandon Ingram are younger than Cat and, and Drew D'Lo. Holiday is a hell of a third <laughs> sidekick. I mean, and, you know, and Porzingis and Porzingis and Luca are younger than Cat and D'Lo. So yeah, my my thing. What I'm trying to say is, I think I think 2021 the Timberwolves could be good. I think they'll maybe win between 30 and 35 games. Now, not that, next, I'm not taking next year. I'm saying two years from now. That is the oh, year. Oh, okay, that is okay. When they make, that is the time where Rosas puts the chips in okay, the middle, yeah. and that's when there is so much water that needs to go under the bridge. But I, know, I get but I, what you're saying. I'm, I'm talking about it from from a sale of the franchise sort of to, sort yeah, of thing because right, right. that's now now we're talking two years out from now, right? Where I think the franchise sees a, a, a value uptick and at least in popularity because winning will come. I just. By putting more chips into the middle, I think they're going to win more. Just straight up, I, that's just how it works. Cat will be twenty six, Dilo will be twenty six, whatever. Everybody will be right. a little bit older. They'll have right. done more moves. The at the very least, we'll know if this ceiling is really way too low. Exactly. And Rosas will pull all kinds of plugs. It, yes, and if so, he's around, <laughs> here we go. You know, but but it, it's it's a weird conflation there, right? Right. Well, with, it's with, also weird conflation with what we're talking about, and that, that's probably mm-hmm. what you meant. Yeah. Conflating, and what I said yesterday, it would be peak wolves to basically pull the plug on Rosas halfway through this rebuild. Sure. Oh, no, yeah, I mean, that... It's possible. Yeah. No, it... it, and it All right, you want to keep the team here? Fine. We want personnel power. Right. You know? 
We'll let we'll we'll keep the team here. We'll make sure you keep the team here at least as long as you're alive. Charles Barkley has to be the GM. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I mean it's, these are the things. There's so many different there's so many different factors in this, and that's why I wanted to do this podcast. And before I really said anything about it, because to me there is reason to be excited. I think more more than there is to you. I, I laid out all my right skeptic right like skeptic things I'm about it, but there is reason because objectively glenn taylor has been a poor owner objectively kevin garnett has been the best thing that's ever happened in minnesota basketball if you can find a way to synergize those two things with a competent front office you have a chance at making the timberwolves something that is relevant to more than the couple thousand people who listen to this but podcast that is as likely is finding a superstar in the in the October draft. Yeah, but you're the one who's always said it's a fucking mountain to climb for this franchise, and that might be a big old helicopter ride up. It really could be. It could it, be. It really could be. And 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 there's reason. There's re. I'm saying that there's reason to be excited about those things, but there is a Jacob's ladder of things that come down from every single one of them i thought that was a great example because helicopters are a hell of a lot more dangerous than planes <laughs> <laughs> and it very easily could crash and burn very easily yeah but <laughs> but it could have already been on a path to crashing right, and burning all i'm saying is i think i've already said what i, I won't repeat myself other than to say probably won't happen if it does toss up whether or not it'll be a good or bad thing and long term probably means this team doesn't stay here unless they win a lot of games <laughs> i'm sorry and if, and if that's true then the counter the counter path also probably leads to the team not not staying here either so so i i don't think just because just because they get on a different path means that the end result is necessarily different than it was being the franchise moving the team might have already been on a path towards yes no i agree with that dissolving. i agree but um i prefer to i want the bird in the hand that looks like a pretty nice bird right now now whether or not kg comes with risk a new owner comes with risk losing rosas comes with risk Alienating towns comes with risk. There is a lot of risk involved here in jumbling status quo. I I agree. I'm just saying the bird in the hand is 79 years old. And yeah. it's probably going to die soon. But the, I, I there are other birds is what I'm saying. There uh, I would I would say the bird in the hand yeah. is Rosas more than Taylor. Sure. No, again, I I the thing we've defended more than right. anything right on here is is Rosas and a belief that at least what we've seen so far, you know, makes sense. I just want to see what happens. Same. I yeah. mean, you know, it would have been nice. People, in the same way that people talk about, uh, wouldn't it have been great if we'd just seen Levine, Wiggins, and Cat? Yeah. Which I am, yeah. I'm on record as really being anti-Levine and um, have gone, have careened from support to distaste for Wiggins, mostly leaning hard distaste toward the end of it um but the point being i don't think that that was the ceiling on that trio i don't think was as high as a lot of people think i think with rosas at the controls um 
and the ability to maybe maximize Cat, maybe with Delo's help, and what Rosas can do uh, with I I believe in Robbie Sika, and I believe in all the dudes in that front office. Um, and I believe in, I mean, what Iowa, what happened with Iowa was like one of the great stories of the season in terms of if you can pull a starter or a, a rotation player out of your hat, if you could pull a Nas Reed. Fred Van Vliet would be the, I mean, with like as Toronto. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And Toronto, let's yeah. face it, is the model for everybody yeah. who – Things like the Wolves do right now. Sure. It sure is in Houston. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I think we've probably talked ourselves out, haven't we? Yeah, we have. No, this was good. I'm, I'm glad we did it, and I just actually just wanted to, to talk to you about it. And, yeah, and no, I'm glad. I'm uh, happy to come by, you know? Yeah, no. And I, and I love the fact that we were on the same page. I was thinking, you know, when I come to this podcast, I think we need to talk about Rosas. And then I see you, you know, it was a tweet you had earlier in the day saying, you know, well, you know. That was the first thing I thought of. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I wrote, I, and I, I tweeted out the thing. I mean, it's what I wrote. It's what I wrote draft night. I got, right. I, I found, it, it was very striking to me that the Timberwolves, over the sequence of the many, many moves they made on the draft, dead, on not draft deadline, trade deadline, right, added so much salary. Just You just have to pay that salary. They added like $10 million in salary. Exactly. Every deal they took back 125% of 100% of that they sent out. That's real money you got to pay. That Glenn has to pay. Yep. That's how salaries work. Yep. And it happened so much that they were over the salary cap. And once or over the. I'm sure there's some cap. kind of pledge that Rosas has made to Glenn that that won't necessarily happen. But it's still out there. But it still happened. And when I got when I got confirmation of that. Right. I was like, this is very big from a Glenn Taylor standpoint. It he is trusting somebody in a major, major way. The process, as yep, people right, say. Right. And right. and that and, and I think that matters. And I think that's why if you hire somebody like Gerson Rosas, you have to give him all the reins. All of them. You have to. Otherwise it doesn't work. And he recognized that, which is why he left Dallas. I mean, when I did that piece yeah. for Sahan Journal on him, where he basically said they had won a you know, chip a couple of years before and they weren't ready for the kinds of things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And and Mark Cuban was is, is smart enough owner thinking up enough ahead. Right. By the way, great owner, um, in my view, and and to the extent that he hired Rosas, uh, but he also thought he could co-opt Rosas a little bit with the culture that he had, which is a pretty good culture. Rosas saw that and said, "Nope, I'm mm-hmm. leaving." And he left so much on the table. I mean, the first Latin American GM, he never got that. And he was like 35 exactly. or something. Yep. I mean, that's crazy. That's somebody with an incredible amount of confidence in himself. For sure. Which, which, And now here we go. I mean, that's the thing. And that could all go down the drain. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I just, that my, my hope is that, uh, is like you said, that we get to see it play out. Right. That we that's get to see it hope. play out. Because it may, you know, he's, he's, it's a huge ask. What he's asking for, he's asking for championship contention, you know. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the fan base right now would take the old KG days where you bow out in the first round for five years in a row. Well, that's not the goal. That's not the goal. That is clearly not the goal. That is clearly not the goal. Um, that's Britt Robson. Britt, thanks again for doing this. Uh, I'm sure we'll get back together once. Uh, there's Just talk about the NBA once this actual basketball is set to start, I think, in a week. Exactly. Yeah. Next Thursday. Right? Exactly. I, I enjoyed uh, watching the games yesterday, and I don't know. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good distraction. I'm kind of looking forward to watching some links. Yeah, yeah, you were saying that. Uh, yeah. 
people always ask, you know, why aren't you a fan of the Lynx? Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the obvious misogyny overtones of that, and I'm sensitive to that, um, summer was always my time to, to take off from basketball and just concentrate on music, pay attention to my family, mm -hmm. not go to a bunch of games, not be stuck in front of the television. And um, so the Lynx were the victims of that. I mean, I would watch the playoff games and I'd follow yeah. them in the paper and stuff. But I have not been a Lynx adherent. I don't have the institutional memory for the Lynx at all compared mm -hmm. to many, many other writers. Sure. But this is a good opportunity. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward. I know the team isn't as much of a powerhouse by any means. It's Foles' team now. Um, and there's a lot of people I don't know. But I have great respect for Cheryl Reeve. And I think it's time to watch a good local N uh, WNBA team. And it happens to be at a point in my life where I'm craving sports again. Right. And I'll watch the Twins and I'll watch the NBA. But I want to try to take some time and watch at least – 50 to 75 percent of the Lynx games and get a get a kind of feel for them. I'm I, looking forward to it. I, I've never uh, I think that's cool. And I, I've never been that way either. Again, and have sim been asked the similar misogyny overtone questions. And what, what my res response is to and it, it I, I know for me that this is true, is that once I started working in basketball, right, that my other sport fandoms died. It just I was a I was a huge Cubs fan growing up. I baseball right. baseball was the sport for me. Right. And once I started, I mean, it's just. But just because you're a you're a twenty four twelve twenty four seven NBA writer, that's what makes you. I tired. mean, that's cost me a lot of work. You know, people yeah. wanted to hire me, and I just said, "Well, look, you know, I yeah. take I take summers off." You right. know. Well, but I mean, and I I like I I want to I want to do that. And, well, that and yeah. you know the salary cap. You know, you know, and you love the you love the intrigue. Behind the scenes, mm -hmm. for me, the games are the thing, right. you know, which is another reason why, you know, which the is Wolves another reason right why now. to watch the Lynx too, because exactly. it's a game. And exactly. Yeah, I, I'm no, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna join you on fifty to seventy-five percent, but five to seven games, I'll, I'll watch. <laughs> I thought you said five to seven percent for a minute. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I, five I to know. seven, actually. What are they playing? Twenty-two. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, I, maybe, like I'm up maybe there. I'm getting up there. Maybe getting up there. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'll, I'm gonna check it out too. We'll, we'll talk about that on a pod and. And the NBA, and the and the NBA, and what happens. And before we know it, it's going to be lottery draft. I mean, a lot of things could change right. with the Timberwolves. That's right. Before September, always 1st. something new to talk about. Otherwise, it wouldn't I be mean, sports. <laughs> we're, we literally found the way to talk for like ninety minutes right. in the end of July, the middle of a pandemic, right. about the Timberwolves. And I, what I think was a conversation people were were uh, are interested in. We'll see right now. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think. I mean, we're talking outside. You're a little worried about the hum of a building a block away. Yeah, I don't know. So I we'll mean, see. I mean, we'll see. I think if people are still listening at this point, it's okay. <laughs> I think uh, I think we're excused by sitting outside, considering again the fact that it's a pandemic and. Yep, and I'm very very conservative yes, when it comes no. to that. Um, that's good. Okay, again, that's Britt. Thank you for doing this, and uh, we'll back soon. Till next time. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let Santa's ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah